Curiosity is not a sin, Harry, but you should exercise caution. He's a time strand. You're fraternizing with the enemy. There's the, um, the Cruciatus curse. We'll celebrate a boy who was kind and honest and brave and true right to the very end. Hey everyone, welcome to Hogwarts, a podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Hogwarts, a podcast. We're doing chapter 33, Death Eaters. And we have Anna back with us. Hello. Um, I thought this was a pretty loaded chapter. I had, I actually like this chapter a lot. Stunning. And I think you were actually on the last time when I had this thought of like, I shouldn't like this chapter as much as I do. <laughs> and it was Tom Riddle giving his monologue at the end of Chamber of Secrets. And what do we get? Here we get a whole Red bunch of Voldy. Yeah. We start this chapter with a Voldy description continued. Hands like large pale spiders, eyes like a cat with slits in it. Um, so very vivid picture that she paints of Voldy here. We get a little Dark Mark uh, talk, and then he gets into his monologues. Monologue number one, he, he <laughs> talks about Lily and, and that magic. Monologue number two involves Death Eaters and... We get this arrival of all of these Death Eaters, which we'll get into in a little bit more detail, because he he himself goes through them, Yeah, um, which is interesting. We get a lot of Wormtail, uh, which we have some comments about, <laughs> and yeah, and we have some, you know, we have some funny things to discuss, so <laughs> that's all good. There's, there's a lot happening here. But what do you, what do you think about the continued description of Voldy? Because I know you had some, some creepy nightmarish thoughts from the last chapter yeah no his scan his hands description was very creepy to me like they just sound so like I like they could just like wrap around your neck very easily like this long and narrow fingers yeah, yeah it's so he's like caressing his wand and mm-hmm. do you think this is the same body he had when he you know went to the powder house right so i had that question too the and i don't know if we want to get into this now or when we meet all the Death Eaters, but I mean, just talk about it now. (laughs) (laughs) I had that same thought because if you're a Death Eater and this was not his look. (laughs) Oh yeah, that's true. I didn't even think about that. You come back, you were already scared and now you come back and you're like, oh my goodness, what am I staring at right now? And there's some spoilery things that we can get into with this, uh, which there's a lot of spoilery stuff that we have. Mm -hmm. Uh, Our spoiler discussion is going to be hyped <laughs> there's so much to talk about um because you know jk does her little thing it is little planting some some tidbits but yeah i had the same question if this was not his look pre-demise <laughs> who these death eaters are in for some real surprises i think it had to be somewhat similar like somewhat i don't th- i think the eyes and the nose were already gone when the, the death eaters last saw him can you just imagine Lucius being like uh master quick question <laughs> Where's your nose? Do you think he just automatically kill someone that went up to him and just been like, oh, got your nose? <laughs> yes, like, that is an automatic kill. Automatic, automatic kill. Automatic kill. Wow, we're already off the rails and we're not even like a, a quarter into this. All right. Um, so we also get a description of the Dark Mark. Well, we talked about the Dark Mark at the Quidditch World Cup a little bit because that's when we first saw it, but it was never really fully described. Right. Um, but here we get it as a vivid red tattoo. We've had questions about what the dark mark has looked like as Voldy has been away. Right. Is it just maybe like a pale pink? Well, and at one outline? point, it's literally described as a brand in this chapter. Yeah. So yeah, that's what I always imagine. Like I'd has. imagine it's a faded pink yeah. outline of just like a a faded brand on your skin. Yeah. And then he puts his two fingers to it on on Wormtail's arm, and then it becomes a pitch black, vivid tattoo. And causes them pain. Yeah. He is a sadistic dude. Yeah, yeah, he is. Obviously, in a lot of different ways. Yeah. But the dark mark itself is a snake protruding through the mouth of a skull. So it's kind of almost like a knot through the lower jaw and it just comes down. Uh, if you haven't, just take a look at any Harry Potter fan's Instagram and they probably have a tattoo <laughs> of the dark mark. It's one of the probably more popular Harry Potter tattoos that the Deathly Hallows. Deathly Hallows, really popular. I've seen the stars of the page um that's, yeah that's you know that's a subtle one like dark mark one. not as subtle dark mark, yeah <laughs> not it's as a subtle. little dark of a tattoo 
but uh, yeah, I know people that have gotten it and, you know, go to any Comic-Con. I'm sure somebody's got it. Anyway, so as he's pressing, I thought this was an interesting quote. As he's pressing his fingers to the dark mark, he then makes a note of how many will be brave enough to return, how many will be foolish enough to stay away. That's a heck of a line, too. It is. And the idea that I'm just going to take a wild swing here. I know they probably aren't all Slytherin house specifically. They don't have to be all Slytherins. But here we're having the word brave associated with mostly Slytherins, which I think is an interesting kind of twist. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. Right? Well, it just goes back to our constant conversation about how... The house characteristics are yeah, they're fluid. They're, exactly, they're all they're everywhere. Yes, um, the, but that is an interesting note of like, okay, Death Eaters. Now you have to make a choice. What choice are you going to make? And you know exactly what this this says. This means because yeah. presumably you've been called by it before, or you've seen the result of not you know uh, not coming to the up. call. Yeah. So he gets into that, and then he gets into his first official full monologue, which is about Lily. Um, he calls Lily a fool, which I know you probably have some thoughts on. I mean, it doesn't really bother me because he's Voldemort, and I don't respect his opinion, so. It, uh, it's not so much an opinion, it's a point of view. Because from his point of view, love and sacrificing life is pointless. His view is l- life is everything. So to throw that away, but I think that's what he's getting at. Basically, I would like to make an argument that maybe he fools Lily as a fool because he did not have a mother who made similar choices that Lily made for Harry. Yes, and he gets a little into that because you're standing on my father's bones. Mm -hmm. and Which I really want to talk about in the spoiler section. Okay. His monologue about his dad. Uh, Yeah, you get a little bit into his own family history. And to your, his family history is complicated. Uh-huh. <laughs> so his and I feel like he simplifies it in this monologue. He does. <laughs> he says that his mother died in or shortly after childbirth. Yeah. And, and his, his father left. Before father walked her. out. Yeah. Who was a muggle? Father's muggle who walked well, out. Well, he makes a point that his father walked out before his mother had him and died. Right. So obviously. His mother, he has a harsh opinion of his mother, to put it mildly. He also has a harsh opinion of his father. I don't feel like he talks much about his mother in this monologue. Uh, no, but considering she died shortly after childbirth. Which, I, again, I feel like is part of his obsession with life and living. Sure, yeah, and it's probably part of he it. blames his mom for dying and not like living for him. Right, and that's kind of what I'm getting at with a harsh take on, on your mom. But uh, he ends up growing up in a muggle orphanage, uh, which I imagine um, he has a... Uh, well, you know, we've always... A constant theme of our podcast is therapy. <laughs> Foley does need some therapy. Yeah. Um, Would have been beneficial for him. I think it's a little too late now. A little, I yeah. I don't believe in therapy, but, you know. Fair enough. Um, but he enters into his own... Uh, Family history because he calls his father useful in death, um, which is a really dark thought. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so, it is. Um, but I don't know. So it all it's intertwined with the the Lily of it all and her choice to choose death over potential. Uh, well, it wasn't going to be life with her son because he was yeah, there to exactly. kill her son. Right. So you know, it, it, he has a very interesting view of Lily. That's where we're just gonna, <laughs> we're going to put that out there. Uh, his second monologue has to do with the Death Eaters themselves. They start popping in, um, or flowing in, it sounded like, like little wisps of cloak just yeah. appearing through the darkness, which is a cool thought. It is. And he immediately starts out with chastising them for leaving him. And he makes well, them... don't forget the part where they all immediately start kissing the bottom of his robes. Like, this is all so, like... Like, Gross. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And the ego on him that this was what he set up with his followers. Like, it, it, it's just wild. Uh, well, so the first thing he tells them is like, I smell guilt. Like guilt is he actually thick in the air. There. Yeah. He's like, oh I smell God, guilt. 
and that's what leads to a lot of them ended up like falling to their knees and going to him uh, because they so desperately want his approval slash forgiveness. They don't die. Yeah, <laughs> essentially. Um, and Voldy has this great line of, "I do not forgive, I do not forget." Woof. Uh, if I'm any of the Death Eaters, I don't care what my station was before, during, and after this whole process. I'm like, oh boy. <laughs> oh <my laughs> like, God, yeah. Oh, I would be trying to be so, like, I'm just standing there in my robe, <laughs> not saying a word. And here he notes, like, at a couple of things Voldy says, like, he notes shivers going mm-hmm. through the circle. Because yeah. they immediately get into this circle. where And they purposely leave These gaps spaces, in the circle, yeah. which makes me feel like, a line in grade school where by by alphabet and you like automatically know where you're at in the line just based on oh like... yeah anyway he does note that Wormtail is one of his more loyal compatriots because at least he came back right. and tried and he does give Wormtail quite the gift he replaces the cutoff hand, which I think Wormtail should be dead by now from blood loss. But well, that's the thing. Beside like, the point. Again, what a drama king that he waits this long to have an audience for when he replaces the hand. Like, the only reason he waited this long was so the other Death Eaters could see him do it. Yes. He, uh, I think he says something about specifically rewarding yeah. those who stay loyal to him. So he, he literally chastises them, rips them all down, and was like, I'm going to punish you. I don't forgive, I don't forget. Also, I reward faithfulness. Let me show you. And you just, uh, to be fair to Voldy here, really cool magic. Just like Very whips cool his magic. wand around and this silvery substance just forms into a hand onto, onto Wormtail's stub. Wormtail did have his robes wrapped around. Like maybe he was putting pressure on it and that's why he's there so alive. There are natal arteries you know. and veins <laughs> that should not be there. Anyway, whatever. <laughs> Uh, but Voldy replaces it with a silver hand, which is really cool magic, not only the, like, the looks of it, but the fact that it's an immediately functional hand yeah. that gives him some abnormal strength. Yeah. Really flippin' cool! And uh, I would imagine that would send another shiver around the, the Death Eaters of like, oh man, that was some high-level magic, because I can't imagine... Because not only did he just create the silver hand, he also... Like you just said, all the arteries and blah, blah, blah. He just went in and essentially healed all that, attached all that. Can you imagine what that magic would, like, I can't imagine Madame Pomfrey's just being able to do that. And I, she has, I'm assuming, having been there as long as she has at Hogwarts, there has been a dismemberment somewhere <laughs> along the line. <laughs> and I can't imagine she's probably giving people this horrible potion. Well, maybe it's some dark magic, which... I, hell, yeah. 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 But it's a cool piece of magic nonetheless. So he then goes into his whole strategy of like, we're going to get the Dementors on Mm. our side. We're going to break open Azkaban. We're going to get the Banished Giants back. He's laying out his whole agenda immediately. Which I never remembered him doing that like right out the gate. Yeah, I didn't remember the part about the Dementors at all. And already planning the jailbreak and everything. Yeah. Yes. Uh, He... We'll get to we'll get to why he gets to the jailbreak here in a second, but he does get into the story of the night he was defeated and how he miscalculated. This is the brilliant, and this is the Tom Riddle of him coming through, mm-hmm. because he's he's done so much here early on. He's ripped his Death Eaters, making them feel so minuscule. He's then shown them how he can benefit them in getting injured for the cause. Well, I can fix that. Don't worry about that. And then here. He's showing the humble side of Voldy. I miscalculate. I'm full of faults, too. I can make mistakes, people. <laughs> I, but I learn from them. He never them. calls it a mistake. Miscalculation. So it's a miscalculation. Miscalculation. Uh, yeah. Oh, he words... But that's my point, is he words it so well. His silver-tonguedness of spinning... He's still got the charm of Tom Riddle. He does. And that's where you see it. In those moments... Of him now placating to the Death Eaters, like, hey, guys, I get it. I make miscalculations, too. It can happen. Also, if you do it, I will kill you. But it can happen. I get it. <laughs> like, Well, he also uses it as a moment to prop himself up as so powerful that 
if I miscalculate, I've already done so many powerful things that other people haven't done magically that I can come back and be fine. Oh, he definitely uses it as a backhanded compliment to himself. Yeah. <laughs> of like, yeah, 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 I, I make a mistake, but I've already accounted for that. Right. And I, I know I, I missed this, but you know what? I knew about it. I just forgot about it. Exactly. Yeah. Like, eh, I should have foreseen this. I knew of it. I just ignored it. Don't ignore anything. That's the moral of this story. I've taught you now. He is such a fascinating dude. Like, it's it's a fascinating character take. Yeah. Where he's like a whole bunch of, like, personalities. He is a whole bunch of personalities. And, like, one or two monologues. It is interesting that he does note in his story of his demise and what he was doing and continues to shame the Death Eaters. Like, I expected you guys to come for me and no one came. He goes, I don't even know what I became. Yeah, that uh, is interesting. That's his first moment of, like, true honestly, like, I don't even have a clue. Like, I don't know what this is. Um, and he couldn't even come up with a back-ended compliment for it. He's like, yeah. nope, don't know what that is. Moving on. I think it's like you just said. It's his first moment of like true honesty where he's like it's interesting that he describes his own uh quote unquote death of like that curse rebounding on him and he's like it was painful and i i never thought or dreamed i'd feel a feel this or b experience this so i feel like he's almost like doing some like internal reflection Self-therapy, yeah. in a way. Yeah, like thinking about it all, and he's just speaking his actual thoughts out to the Death Eaters because obviously he needs an audience for himself. Of course. He's, he's glory. He's like, uh, he's having his glory moment with the crowd of mm-hmm. like, because I, I think Lucius asked him at some point, he's like, Master, we're wondering, how is this even possible? Like, yeah. how, how, like we're glad, but <laughs> how? And that's when he goes into all of this, like, storytelling. Uh, he mentions Quirrell in book one. Mm-hmm. And he mentions... Not by name, though. Like, I was kind of like, does he even remember Quirrell's name? Probably not. Yeah. He probably didn't care. This guy came through. He was a moron. But, you know, whatever. <laughs> I him. He got me back to the country. <laughs> Details. You know, whatever. He failed. I went back. It's fine. <laughs> Very nonchalant about Quirrell. But he gets into some detail on Wormtail, and I have all of these questions. So we're going to put Wormtail and specifically Bertha to the side for just a second, and we will get back to those two characters. Bertha! But let me get to um, the Death Eaters present and non-present, because it's kind of interesting. The Death Eaters who are present, we have Avery, uh, who immediately pleads for forgiveness and immediately was tortured by Volvi. So yeah, so that's that's Avery. We have Wormtail, obviously. Lucius, who he questions if he will take the lead again in Muggle torture. And we find out that he was specifically the lead of all of the exploits at the Quidditch World Cup with torturing the Muggle, um, what do you call him, ticket taker? I don't know what you'd call him. Campground manager. Campground manager, yeah. Um, so that was Lucius's role in that. Uh, surprise, surprise. Uh, we have McNair, who is now putting to death creatures that the Ministry decides are too dangerous, and Voldy says he will provide better victims. To which McNair says, thank you. I know, right? That That's, I think, probably, other than the Crucio, that's the creepiest interaction to me. Uh, that's disturbing on a couple thank of different you? levels. Like, yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Master. Uh, you have Crap and Goyle, who Voldy acknowledges, good for him. Uh, I feel like that's only for... Us knowing that yeah. Crab and Goyle are with Draco. Yeah, definitely. I still like the line of, you'll do better this time, right? <laughs> like, clearly they're just but, as stupid as their son. But, but okay, here's the thing on Voldy having multiple personalities, which he clearly does. He's so nonchalant about that. Yeah. Like, if he really cared about Crab and Goyle being completely buffoon or buffoonish... I think he cracked out on her, but he seems almost delighted by the fact that they're so incompetent. Because he probably gets to torture them. Eh, probably. That's true. Um, you have not an OTT, <laughs> the person not, um, who's also there. Uh, and you have others that are there that just aren't named here specifically. Correct. So there are others present. Now, the ones that aren't present are also interesting in a way. 
he notes the that there's a gap of two. Or Harry notes that there's a gap of two. And Voldy stops and says, oh, this is where the Lestranges should be. Azkaban will be broken open and they will be rewarded. Now you have a large gap of six spots. And he notes three are dead from his service mm-hmm. uh, in almost a mournful way, which I think is interesting. Uh, one, he fears, has left him forever. Clearly he'll be killed. <laughs> and one was too cowardly to return. Um, one was too cowardly to return. And the last one, his most faithful servant, who has already returned and is already doing the work of Voldy. So there's some interesting breakdowns there. Uh, do you have any uh, thoughts on the Death Eaters present or non-present? I wish I we could know more about the people that he doesn't talk to and doesn't name. I wonder how many there actually are. That is why I wish. Like, I wish we had a general sense of exactly how many Death Eaters he has. I mean, we got a sense of a little bit before from the trials of who was sent to Asman and who wasn't, but that was a right. small sample size relatively. But And in future books, we get new names that are not mentioned here. Correct. But I still, I guess I really just wish we knew how many, I guess it's another, we have a lot of numbers conversations on the podcast. How many people are in Hogwarts, how many schools there are. Now I wish I really knew (laughs) how many Death Eaters he has. I don't, I don't know why. I have no idea why I thought this, but I can remember when I was first reading this, I reread this specific passage where he's going through the Death Eater roll call Mm -hmm. several times. Um, because I wanted to know these questions. Right. And for whatever reason, I had the number 12 stuck in my head. Okay, but see, I think this is our Catholic education shining through. The 12 apostles. Yes. <laughs> that, and that is what I always kind of wish, because I think he has more than 12. Because, I mean, we, have we know... A, we have seven here that were named, and then six would make 13 plus the Lestranges. Plus two. the Lestranges, but then we also know... So that's we 15. know the number... Of when, you know, the Lestranges are broken out, we know the number of people. Right. So that's already more... And like you said, we know of others that are very certainly Death Eaters that just aren't named here. So I always kind of wish, because Death Eaters to me, and like with the whole tattoo, like, we know he has people who fight for him that aren't necessarily Death Eaters. Right. So I think I always wished that he didn't have so many Death Eaters, like have them be like his army or whatever. But I feel like Death Eaters and the brand should have been given to the select, like, you know, his, like, the reverse of Jesus' apostles. They were his 12 super evil doers. We can can get a little (laughs) bit more into the whole Death Eater of it in the uh, the spoiler. But before we get too far along here, we need to discuss the worm tail in Bertha. Ah, yes. Uh, So here's, okay, first of all, (laughs) I have questions. Because worm tail, we learn... Yes, he turns into a rat as his animagus. Yes. Voldy specifically mentions that he has a thing with rats. Wormtail has a curious affinity with rats. Do you not, Wormtail? His filthy little friends told him there was a place deep in the Albanian forest where they avoided. Doesn't that come off as playful? Like, Voldy has a playful tone all of a sudden, and I'm like, what is going on? This dude is all over the map. Because <laughs> like... he's a psychopath. Like, he's menacing, yet joyful, yet, like, uh, this is like a whole thing. He's a whole vibe. But this opens up, we've talked about Animaguses before. We had a whole big discussion on them in book three, because that kind of mattered. But now we get clarification in book canon (laughs) that Wormtail, as an Animagus, can communicate effectively with at least the same species. But I feel like this has to mean, okay, so he can communicate with the same species. I feel like this has to 100% finally confirm for us that Sirius was communicating with Kirkshanks. I want to make this, I want to make this clear. I personally have not read these books in a long time. Much less have I read these books in this much, uh, I think Julie mentioned it as like AP English style, like dissection. It's <laughs> a good comparison. It is. Uh, so there are some details that I have knowingly, like, have just completely glossed over. And this is one of them. (laughs) Because this is a one-sentence, random thing that does have some, like, implications here. Oh, great. It's like, wait, what did he just say? And I have no idea why I've never 
I don't remember that locked ever. Locked nothing to that. Definitely not. No. Uh, so it blew my mind when I was reading this chapter. I'm like, wait a second. He's telling us that he's talking with rats to discern information. <laughs> No. What do you think the rat language is called? There's... If anybody watches Doom Patrol, there's like a whole rat that has this whole scene. I know you haven't watched Doom Patrol, but there's like a rat that has a whole thing, a whole storyline, and it's a rat who just has lines, and it shows up as a little like... Closed captioning? Yeah, it shows up as closed captioning wording at the bottom so you can understand what the rat is squeakly I saying. I love it. Oh my gosh, if you're fans of Doom Patrol, hit us up. Um, but I have so many questions. <laughs> to your question, like, okay, is Sirius... As a dog, talking to only dogs? Is he able to talk to Buckbeak? Is he able... I feel like Sirius is smart enough. He started learning other animal languages. I think Peter just speaks <laughs> to rats. So does this mean... <laughs> I'm going down a rabbit hole. What if, when they transformed to help with Lupin, yes. they weren't talking to each other as James and Sirius. They were talking to each other as... Dogs and Papa. Yeah, as yes. dog and stag. And Peter couldn't talk to any of them because he didn't know their language. Like, what is going on right now? He just now? knew he had to go press the knot, and then he just rode around. The Guys, the I don't know if you are getting this, but my Harry Potter mind was blown by that. It does make sense, but I just, for whatever reason, I just like this way over my head for years and years and years. Well, it is super extra fun to imagine Peter talking to the rats. Hey guys, it's just like this little rat. Any trail. weird stuff you've seen in the forest? <laughs> Even... Oh no, your friends disappeared in this part of the forest? Okay, can you show me that part of the forest? So wait, is McGonagall speaking to... Does she have conversations with Mrs. Norris? That's why Mrs. Norris always looks like she knows more. Like, you know how Harry's always so extra scared of Mrs. Norris? Because Minnie gives her the scoop. Oh man, see, we're just breaking everything open. There we are. Oh my gosh. This is why Warner Brothers needs to hire us. Do you think... <laughs> This was like in research. Did they know this was going to happen ahead of time? Or did like a rat come up to Peter Pettigrew at some point? I was like, hey, what you doing here? And he's like, wah! <laughs> That's actually what happened when he arrived in Albania. Okay, all right. He just discovered that at that particular moment. <laughs> started living his best life. Hanging out with the rats. Oh, I have so many more questions. But you know what? We're going to stop it there. Uh, you have Bertha thoughts. Because this is a Bertha chapter. Bertha's mentioned. Yeah. And uh, Voldy kind of goes into a little bit of the Bertha Jorkins of it all. He does say that she was a gift beyond his wildest dreams. Just like to And it's true. Uh, because Bertha is important. Voldy did say, going back to Wormtail for just a second, that Wormtail, <laughs> quote, displayed a presence of mind I would never have expected from him. And then he, like, very vaguely just says that somehow Peter got her to follow him outside. Wait. Are you saying that Wormtail put on the charms? Hey, all right. So you're going down the Wormtail was charming. Wait. I mean, okay. he was friends with James and Sirius. I was just about to say. something, right? You're like, so he's sitting in a bar or a pub, and he's just like, you know... <laughs> James used to say this when he was talking to Lily. Sirius used to say this all the time around girls at Hogwarts. I'm going to try this line real quick. And clearly it works. Oh, I... years I've been living as a rat, Dan. In, in all seriousness, I think he, uh, it does go into a little darker tone, though. I, I think he says, like, Wormtail, like, overpowered her at some point. Yeah, like, no, it turns very <laughs> scary. And right. Peter Pettigrew is not a good person. No, I think... As, as much as we have talked Peter Pettigrew in the past, yeah. and I guess you could say we've defended him on some levels. I think uh, we defended young Peter Pettigrew. Correct. Uh, I don't think either of us, to be very, very clear, think he's a good human being. He's done enough bad to put him on the bad side of a ledger yes. here. Yes. So he gets Bertha somehow, some way, to, to Voldy. And Voldy says Bertha's a mine of information. Mm -hmm. He says he broke a memory charm on Bertha. Mm -hmm. And the magic that he had to use to break said memory charm broke her, essentially. Yeah. And after that, she was essentially completely useless. But yeah, Bertha's a big part of it. Um, I, I will say this. In that uh, kind of explanation of his time in Albania, he, you know... Humble brags that, oh, by the time, um, by the way, I invented two spells. Uh, I got help from Nagini. Nagini was helpful. You guys weren't. But this snake was helpful. You know, the venom that I got from her proved much more useful than any of you guys. 
and I had um, Wormtail concoct a potion of unicorn blood. So again, it's not Wormtail's help bringing him back. He just told Wormtail everything he needed to yes. do to bring him back. And essentially, like, do this for me. Yeah. Do it in this specific way. And I think he calls Wormtail a poor wizard. <laughs> I was like, that's a little harsh. But it's like, <laughs> you have Crab and Goyle as Death Eaters. Like, <laughs> I would like to think that Wormtail is a step above Crab and That's Crab what I'm saying. Crab and Goyle are just muscle. Come on. Anyway, we're running long on the non-spoiler <laughs> section because we've had some fun random tangents. But <laughs> we get to the uh, line that we almost used as the break sound. <laughs> I can touch him now line, which the Ralph Fiennes voice uh, will ring through my head forever. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> it's so bad. But it's a line, he says, in the thing. So, that it you know, is, that it is. Um, word for word. Yep. So hopefully you're enjoying the Kill Despair <laughs> quick uh, line, but uh, yeah, we we voted not to do the I Can Touch Him Now. <laughs> My vote was actually for that one, but I was overvoted. And then we got down a whole rabbit hole of <laughs> quotes from the movies <laughs> that sound really questionable when you put them together. <laughs> As our, you know, our intro is obviously a string of quotes from the movies put together, and we're like, well, here's a string of quotes we can't put together because that's really questionable. But anyway. I, I will have to say this, and this is where we'll end, and I want to get your thoughts on it, too. I kind of respect Voldy for freeing Harry and being like, I want him to fight for it. I want him to have his chance. And I get why he's doing it. The whole the whole build-up to this was, you guys think this kid is better than me. Let me show you. And I'm not going to have him tied up. We're going to have him have a chance. Someone get him his wand, whatever. I want this one-on-one. -on -one. I, I get why he's doing it for, mm -hmm. like, the show of it. But, you know, he very easily could have just, you know, done. Which obviously <laughs> would have been a much smarter route for him. Like, you say you respect him. I think he's kind of an idiot. Um, I, I get the show of it, though, because he's trying to... It's the also, it's a look inside the insecurity of Tom Riddle. He is an insecure yeah. person. He is. And insecure. he wants to ensure... That his Death Eaters know exactly how powerful he is. And I think it's also for himself, too. I think he wants to finally, like, defeat Harry for himself. Sure. Which I also have a lot of spoilery thoughts on this whole interaction. The fact that he releases Harry and lets Harry fight for himself. Well, it sounds to me like we should get to the spoilers. Because <laughs> we have a whole bunch to talk about in spoilers. This might be one of our more loaded spoiler sections. I think it's going to be, yeah. This is going to be a big one. So come back for our spoiler talk. Till the stab! Alright, so we are back with the very loaded but very interesting spoiler section of Chapter 33, Death Eaters. So we're going to double back on some conversation that we had at the very end of the non-spoilers with Harry being tied up to the gravestone. Mm. Hit me. So you brought up that you respect Voldemort for wanting Harry untied from the tombstone and face off with him. You always laugh about Harry being a special boy. A lot of people ask, is Harry really that special of a boy when he had all these people standing I think, between them? I think Voldy specifically says at some point, these more talented, better right. witches and wizards stand in front of, stand between you and me. And I would like to throw this up as an example. There is nobody standing between Harry and Voldemort right now. Harry is untied, and yes, he runs around, and he hides for a few things. But at the end of the day, when their wands connect, there is something in Harry that is stronger than the messed up part of Voldemort, that his will is stronger. He is stronger than, and it's him that overpowers Voldemort's wands. Yeah, you could still say in some roundabout way that three people, four people, end up standing between uh, Voldy and After, Harry. After, <laughs> in his escape from the graveyard, yes. But in this fight, getting to, without Harry, those people don't come wisping out of the wands. Yeah. Uh, no, that's true. I, I think, and we learn a little later on that there's some wand trickiness at play. And not, I'm saying, it's not saying the Elder Wand, because the Elder Wand's not at play here. But they have, I think they spend half a book talking about the twin cores. They do, no, and, but that's what I'm know. saying. Like, the whole point of the twin cores, they were facing off, and there's that little ball of light, 
that, you know, that are trying to move back and Harry forth. Harry uses his spell that Snape taught him. It's a fact. Don't give me no, that look. No, Harry hasn't taught, Snape hasn't taught him anything in this graveyard moment. Expelliarmus. That's oh a spell God. that he uses. This is Expelliarmus. Which is his signature that everybody's like, why in the world are you using that spell here? Because he doesn't want to kill people. That is a thing he himself takes a stand about. I'm just saying, I'm so sick of people not giving Harry credit. I know Harry's an idiot. I know <laughs> theme of the book is Harry does something very brave and very stupid. All right, that is Harry James Potter. I'm just saying, can we like give the boy some credit? Stop trying to like say the reason he defeats the Dark Lord is because there's a piece of the Dark Lord inside him. Is because his dad, his mom, his godfather, his headmaster all stand between them all. Snape taught him Expelliarmus. Okay, it's Harry himself who conquered it, who mastered it. I can't do Expelliarmus. <laughs> You're correct. I can't argue that point. No, you... You're right. Harry does deserve much more credit in in a lot of things, to be fair. I'm not saying the boy's perfect. I'm just saying, give him a little bit of credit. You you posed this thought to me, and this is why Anna and I get into such great conversations about Harry Potter, because she asked one thing and my brain went to like 12 things at once. Harry Potter is Harry Potter, and he's been put in so many situations where you can either stand up and succeed or fall and fail. And to his credit, he more times than not stands up and succeeds. Even when he fails, he's usually standing up. <laughs> right. Where I wanted to go with it in my trail of thoughts is like, well, then you have Hermione, who's considered like the best, most talented witch of her age. Mm -hmm. uh, in this book, you get three champions, all three of which are magically better than him. To be fair to Harry, they're all older and have learned more. Okay. <laughs> and then, again, my mind trails and I'm like... Oh, Ron. <laughs> I knew you were going to do that. You're not Harry. You going you're not that. Harry and you're not Hermione. It's a tough spot for Ron to be in. He's Ron. He's Ron. He's wonderful. I know. But you asked me, you, you put a thought going and then my brain just travels. Uh, <laughs> they all would have died at the chess match if it wasn't for I, Ron. I, I get it. I totally get it. I'm just saying. Look, Harry does some amazing things. He, he, gets, he gets through the first task here wonderfully. Uh, he, as you've heard on this podcast, he gets a lot of help with the second task. Um, all of the help. We all get a lot of help in life, Dan. There's nothing wrong with getting help. Uh, Wormtail just got a whole new hand for helping Voldemort. Fair. As we will learn in a couple of chapters here, Barty Crouch Jr. essentially clears the way for him in the, in the maze. And has essentially... <laughs> it was the architect of him getting through this whole thing to begin with anyway. Harry does do some miraculous things. And he does more miraculous things as we go forward. Like, the DA is... Yeah, the DA is spectacular, and what he does for other characters at that point is tremendous. Uh, and, it, and just doubles and triples and quadruples from there. Yeah, he's talented. He is talented. He's a good person. He is. But Voldy's not wrong, and you weren't wrong in saying that list of people that do stand in front of him for a long, long time. Well, because he was a child! Don't tell me that any 12-year-old 12 12 year Albus did no, not no. have a chance. I, I get that, but think about it this way, though. Think about it if you're in Harry's shoes, and you're watching loved ones who you consider family, and friends who are not just friends, they are family to you. And Which you're watching is why them fall. He marched into the forest yeah. without any of them to stand and sacrifice himself. We, we have same a little, as his mother. Did. We have a lot to talk about in the Battle of Hearts. <laughs> that one might have to be multiple <laughs> podcast episodes because there's a whole lot of things we can talk about in there. But anyway, I guess I both agree and disagree with you in that, like, yes, he's obviously a very special boy. Yes, he is. He's obviously a very special boy. Who, who and let's if we're just. Being honest with it, he's the son of James and Lily Potter. Yeah. There are magical abilities that he has inherited from two very gifted magical people. It's my boy. So, yes, it's foolish to say or naive to say that he's devoid of magical talent and he's just lucking his way through this. Yeah, of course. But he also lucks his way through this and gets a whole lot of help. So it's, it's both. The answer is both. I mean, that, again, that's life. <laughs> that is life. That is very much life. We have a lot of other stuff to talk about in the spoiler section. 
let's get to a couple of the quick things first. Anna will like this because fan theories. Uh, I don't know if you remember this, but way, way, way back when in the Harry Potter chat rooms. Bring me back to my childhood. Um, this silver hand that Wormtail gets was the topic of conversation in a lot of chat rooms. Yes. I, I know exactly what you're talking about and I hadn't remembered it, but yeah. The silver hand, specifically silver hand, uh, a lot of people thought would be used to kill one other of the, the, ultimately at that point, the last remaining marauder, um, in the Battle of Hogwarts or some mish way around it. Silver, werewolves, put those two together, which would have been really interesting. I actually almost would have preferred that to have been Lupin's death. That would have been an interesting... I, well, I would have preferred Lupin's death to be... Non-existent. A scene instead oh, of... Oh, well, yeah. Uh, yeah. Non instead of non-existent. Yeah. Because uh, I feel like Lupin deserves that. And so does Tonks <laughs> at that point, too. Yes. Completely um, agree. But. but that's a whole other thing. And again, hire us, HBO Max, to figure that all out. <laughs> uh, we'll put that on screen, as morbid as that is. Anyway, moving on. But no, that was a big topic of conversation. And... But it would be poetic in that you have two marauders that would have then go... And they build it up. He's got a silver hand. It has extra strength. Yeah. So if you wanted to potentially do that, you could. I mean, the silver hand, either way you spin it, has an interesting connotation bring back for Peter back to his betrayal of his friends but it definitely would have been very interesting had he been the one to kill the last remaining true marauder like it would have been even more interesting if he somehow had a hand in Sirius's death and then he somehow had a hand in every All single one of his oh, best friends that would be something. like that would have been really that would be crazy yeah. dang um, yeah, wow. Um, let's just rewrite the series. <laughs> no, uh, kidding. <laughs> but, uh, I will gush really quick about the brilliance of Voldy, because not only does he do a, just a splendid bit of magic, having a working silver hand mm -hmm. merge so effortlessly perfect with Wormtail's arm... He also builds in that little... That's that failsafe. Yeah, he builds Which in that, like... Fair, yeah. That is a whole other level of clever that is otherworldly. Well, and it also just goes to further prove the man doesn't trust anybody. Like, he sees... Him and Emperor Palpatine in Star Wars. <laughs> that is a pretty good comparison <laughs> in both looks anybody. and personality. But he has the line, too, where he's like, hopefully this reward, I'm paraphrasing, but hopefully this reward will teach you to not wander in your loyalties again. Yeah. And I don't know, maybe it's those words exactly that put the little, like, failsafe into it. It probably was. Um, but my goodness, what a clever, and, you know, we joked about. at that point, he probably, he's got to know about the life that. That Wormtail owes. Maybe Harry. he told. Uh, maybe he told him about that. Uh, that would be a naive, dumb thing for Wormtail to do. It would be, or Voldy used his powers to Should, uh, kind of look into his it. mind a little yeah. bit. Um, but you know, we joked about Voldy. You know, oh, I didn't foresee the Lily old magic <laughs> or whatever. Well, he clearly he foresaw this, this. Yeah. Years ahead of when it actually becomes relevant, um, and part of it is Wormtail's nature. Yeah. That he's like, um, I have a chance right now to nip this in the bud, so gonna put that in. Well, and it's also maybe just some part of Voldemort, too. Like, hey, if I'm giving this thing to anybody, might as well put a failsafe in there. Like, why not? Mm -hmm. Covering his bases. Speaking of covering Voldy's bases, wow, what a transition this was. Wow, well done. <laughs> uh, so, he mentions... In his in one of his monologues, while the Death Eaters are there, you how dare you question whether I come back? You knew what I have put in place. You knew the experiments that I have done. And see, I have a problem with that line. You have a problem with the line. I do. I also have questions about the line because that implies that they are aware of the Horcruxes, which completely contradicts. All the other knowledge we have about Death Eaters who 
are actually protecting Horcruxes for him. Like, it's pretty well established that Lucius did not know what he had in the diary. Correct. Uh, I'd imagine it's... Bellatrix knows she has something important. important. Right. But she, she doesn't know what. Horcrux. And then... Uh, and Regulus specifically says he figured it out. Mm. He wasn't told. He yeah. deduced what was going on and what the secret to Voldy's power really was. Like, there's those lines where Regulus was like, no, 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 I, I alone have solved this mystery. And I don't think he necessarily knew that there was more than the one. Right. So, they, she kept it vague by just saying, my experiments. We're reading into it. But what else, what I other experiments could I don't there have been? I don't know. So, I think, it has to be, right? It's gotta be. But then she's just contradicting herself. Which, I mean, like, okay, the woman wrote seven books sure. across she, many years. She's also contradicting Voldy's nature of mm -hmm. he knows everything, but they're not supposed to know everything. They're in the dark. I am in the light. Which, per se. <laughs> I guess maybe knowing his nature, we could write it off as maybe he made up some stuff to tell them and make them keep them in line. Like, you know, like when he's experimenting and creating the potions and the spells and stuff that helped him, you know, maybe that's what he's referring to. The spells that you said he had, invented, um, Wormtail used to bring him back to his body. I don't know. Uh, now that is a plausible idea of, he may have told them literally vague details about, I am conducting experiments that seemingly are successful right. for me to be immortal. Maybe every time his appearance changed, because obviously his appearance changed the farther and farther he went down his dark magic search for immortality. So maybe as his appearance changed, he was just like, well, these are my experiments taking effect. Yeah, I mean, maybe. Uh, it just jumped out at me as like, well, this is a real problem. Yeah. If they truly do know about the idea of Horcruxes. I, and I know... But then Snake would have known. Well, it, okay. The, Sorry, the, I'm thinking... No, no, no. That leads to my next point is, you know, Voldy's obviously very clever and obviously the smartest of them. Granted, some of these Death Eaters, Crab Goyle, are mm. not smart. Some of them are. Yeah. Some of them are very intelligent. Uh, Lucius, not an idiot. Yeah. Um, Snape. Not an idiot. Like Crouch Jr. Crouch Jr. is not an idiot. Bellatrix's a fanatic, but she's not an idiot. She's crazy, <laughs> but she's not dumb. So, and I'm sure there are others. You could probably allude to others that you know know what's going on or aren't dumb and are picking up on things. Regulus can't be the only one, right? Especially if he's saying stuff like this years in advance. True. But Regulus is the only one who You're telling me not you're telling me Lucius, Bellatrix, Snape, Barty Crouch Jr. never once were like, hey, there's this piece of dark magic. Like Voldy's the only one to ever explore this. No one else could have ever picked up on this, other than Regulus years <laughs> later. Maybe Regulus is the only one who wanted to betray him. Regulus was the Maybe. only one, though, as far as we know, I guess, who Voldemort sought help from. Right, because Voldemort had Creature come with him to place the locket in the potion. That's true. So maybe that's, I mean, and that's essentially how Regulus found out, right? You know, that's that's a great segue into another question that I had. Okay. You, you say that he enlisted the help of Regulus's house elf to help hide this. Here, he literally says uh, about... We've already said this quote about Wormtail, but he displayed a presence of mind I would never have expected from him. Voldy's Achilles heel is he overlooks yeah. small details. He, over he underestimates things that he finds unimportant. Right. The old magic from Lily. Miscalculation. Wormtail's importance in the whole thing. Miscalculation. The intelligence of some of his followers. Creatures. Like mm -hmm. creature. <laughs> that are more powerful than he assumes and does tell secrets. 
uh, to those that are in the know or have that power. And it's like his grand Achilles heel of always, quote, miscalculating some things. And that's just another example of it. I did like the idea of his killing curse rebounding upon him. And then essentially that's how this Mm -hmm. ends in the end is his killing curse rebounding upon him. I've never even thought about that. So he tried twice to kill Harry and it's twice rebounded on him, killing him. That actually makes me like his death a lot more. It always seemed like such an easy way out, but now it's very circular. It, right. Yeah. Um, so there's that. There's a thought for you guys. And then uh, the other what if I, I wanted to talk about was um, he mentions that he was too weak at some points in Albania. Uh, and even like as he's starting to come back or putting the motions to come back with he was with Wormtail, he's too weak. Um, he, like he didn't want to come to the Quidditch World Cup because there's too many ministry officials there and he couldn't overpower them in the state that he was in and he mentions his own like what if of like i couldn't make myself known because orrs were still looking for me like around the world were orrs really looking for him i think they, they were. all thought he was dead the orrs were looking for the death eaters i i, I think there were so, there was obviously there was obviously rumors I think any ors who might have been looking for him were like rogue ors. Uh, I don't know because Moody Fudge was not sending ors out to look for him. Moody was out into the middle of nowhere searching for Death Eaters, and there were rumors that he wasn't gone. Gone. People knew or well, suspected he that he wasn't gone. A gone. Prime example of a rogue or Moody. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but there were whispers and rumors and the death eaters that were caught like the Lestranges were like no 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 he's coming back yeah but that's also very easily written off as a fanatic sure. who can't accept Dumbledore though was vocal D- agreed Dumbledore was very vocal but Dumbledore didn't have any power to be sending out oars he didn't have power to send out oars, but he had Clout. Well, and that's why I'm saying... If you're Albus Dumbledore and you say something, that's it why I'm matters. saying I don't think it was necessarily Orrs being sent out to look for him. I think it was rogue, powerful wizards. I guess. have still been looking for him. Like members of the Order? Yeah. That he just sent out? What was left of it. Um, do you... Okay. So let's play this game out. What happens if Orders, Orrs stumble upon this wisp or childlike baby thing what are, what are they going to do with that? Like, That's very true. Like, seriously. Like, do they are they figure even going to out... recognize the Wisp as Voldemort? Okay, here's one thing I will give to the Fantastic Beast movies is they've displayed a better image of what adult magic mm-hmm. looks like mm-hmm. and the possibilities that that might in, uh, in hold. Yeah. And... These are ors off doing their own thing. Like, they're skilled. They've obviously probably fought in this first Wizarding War. They're battle-hardened. Like, I don't know. If they, they go in there, they might know some form of magic that's way beyond what <laughs> we're getting in these seven books, you yeah, know? definitely. Um, that's one thing I do like about the, the Fantastic Beasts movies is adult magic is cool. ma- The magic in those movies is so cool. It's very cool. So, I mean, maybe, but... That what you said is my original thought of like, uh, are they gonna recognize that as like a thing? Oh, like to Dumbledore give them like a game plan of like, here's what you gotta look for. Like, considering Voldemort didn't even know what he was, like, I don't exactly. think Dumbledore could have had a game plan. Exactly, Literally nobody had ever. This was a singular event. No, I, I I agree. It's just it just caught me as like when he said that auras were still looking for me. I'm like, okay, they find you. What? I just wrote it up as another okay drama king. <laughs> We get it. You want attention. Fair enough. Well, he does want attention. I don't know. You got any other spoiler thoughts? Well, it's still um, around Voldemort and his monologues that you were talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. The only thing I would want to go back to is when he was talking about his parents and how much of their story he left out. Like, okay, he's really upset with his father and calling his father awful for leaving his mother, you know, abandoning her. Does he know that his father, I mean, and this is a legitimate question, does he know that his mother had bewitched his father? Do we really blame Tom Riddle for leaving her? I mean, I'm not saying Tom Riddle was a good mongol, a good person by any means, but 
Merope wasn't exactly blameless in her situation. No, her family was not exactly a wonderful family. Definitely not. And they weren't wonderful to her either. She was abused in a lot of ways herself. Yeah. I would say that, honestly, even if he does know, I don't think he cares. Because I think he always sides with magic over muggle. So whatever she did was automatically right because she had the power to do it versus him who was powerless mm. which is a dark take that is a dark take but you're right uh, which going now that you say that phrasing like that reminds me another reason he was so mad and hateful of his mom was because she had made the choice at that point to stop using magic and that was essentially why she died after having him yeah and it goes into the little thing that we were talking about in the non-spoiler of just like that choice of life or death. And he views death as weak. Well, and going back to why I think, why I even brought up the comparison between Lily and Marope when you were talking about him calling Lily a fool, I think he is just never got over the fact that his mom died. That like if he had had a mom growing up, even if, you know, maybe, yes, he would have still had a hatred towards muggles and thought she was weak for choosing not to use magic. But just the fact that she died and in his viewpoint willingly died and left him alone. That's where his obsession with immortality comes from. And that's why he's going to pretty much view any mother, doesn't matter how she's going to die. Death is weakness. And that's the real reason Lily's a fool. Not anything to do with her old magic or anything like that. I think, obviously, motherhood plays a massive role in the series. Even the ones you don't think about often, like Marope. You don't Mm -hmm. really get... She doesn't get a lot of airtime. No. But she obviously plays a very pivotal role. And he's still dealing with that, clearly. And then, you know, other... Molly Weasley gets all the love, mm. but you know, like, uh, you know, there's room to talk about Petunia, good and bad mm. motherhood there, and uh, Andromeda Tonks. Yeah, nobody wants to call out Tonks for abandoning her baby to go fight because who's not going to go fight? But she essentially, leaves her child an orphan. I mean, Molly steps in front of Ginny. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And that could have turned a bad way too. Yeah, uh, as, I, yeah. And, you know, yeah, Fred going down and, and that. Could you imagine Molly? Oh, my God. That family would have been torn apart. Yeah. That would have been hard. Does does Percy fully reunite at that point? Or does he break off again? I think he reunites. There's... But that's different, I feel like, than Tonks. Because she's literally stepping in front of her child to protect her child. Right. Tonks just couldn't stand being away from Remus. Well, so I, in that way, I love Tonks so much. But in that way, she's almost more similar to Marope than um, she is Lily or Molly. I don't know. I, yeah, she wants to be with Remus, but she's also, she wants to be in the fight. She's sure. she's young and thinks Powerful. she can help. Yeah, and she which could. She can. I'm sure she did. So she thinks she sitting on the sidelines is in itself, uh, I don't know if weakness is the right word, but disrespectful like like it's one of those moments where it's like if you don't do this that says a lot about you and even though she has reasons even though she has reasons to not step in Mm -hmm. if you don't enter in literally the fight of the century it's that idea of like this is the fight of the century i need to be in this and if i'm not in it what am i Uh, like it's a whole identity crisis i get it (laughs) you're an or in your prime also just saying i'm not trying to be funny but there is more than just being in the fight of the century. You're right. Things no, happen. Right. Life has to go on it's after a, the fight of the century. It's a complicated decision. Yes. That's much more gray than it is black and white. Absolutely. And that's part of the motherhood discussion in this whole series is just going through it. And, you know, at one point we'll probably dig in character by character on this and go through it. Um, but, yeah. Any other thoughts and comments on the chapter? This was a lot. But I love this chapter. I thought this was a great chapter. And I'm a nerd for all of the... Uh, You're a 
nerdy for Death Eaters. You really are. Uh, I just like the character background and the world building from it. I mean, you literally get it all laid out there for you. Like, who's there? Who's not? Like, who's clearly important? Who's an idiot? Like, he's laying everything out there for you. I like the Bertha of it all. The Bertha of it all. Of course you would. <laughs> so we will end it here with chapter 33, Death Eaters. Let us know. Uh, your thoughts on it on Twitter and Instagram. Hit us up at Hogwarts a pod. Uh, once again, really quick, uh, just reminding people, Ann and I will be in Orlando in June. We'll get more details as it gets a little bit closer. Um, but we're planning on doing at least, you know, one cool thing down there. Um, so we'll figure out what that is and how. But uh, we'll get all those details out to you when we can. Now would be a good time to follow us on Instagram. Do it. Just saying. We really appreciate all of the support. Give us comments, reviews uh, on Spotify. Uh, it really helps us make this um, better for you guys. And with that, I think we're wrapping. Thank you for listening to Hogwarts, a podcast. If you like what you've heard, please click the subscribe button on your preferred podcasting app and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Hogwarts, a podcast.